Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. Here with my friend and Chavruta, Yardena Azband. Today's daf, Brachot Nun Aleph, 51. Now, today's daf, as I was preparing it, I said, oh, that's a good thing to talk about. Oh, that's a good thing to talk about. Oh, that's another good thing to talk about. And then, um, and then I got to the story of Yalta at the end, and I said, okay, we're going to talk about Yalta. And we'll see what else we can we can add in here. So I'm going to start with the things that we're going to add in, and then we're going to lead up to the Yalta. And I'm not going to talk about all those exciting things that I thought there was to talk about. If you want to go through the daf on your own, you will find that there's much to discuss, and it's interesting. I will say this. On Amud Aleph, of Nun Aleph, we have what appears to be an odd and puzzling and intriguing and interest, you know, disturbing kind of statement by Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. He says as follows. Shloshad varim sachli malachamavit. Rabbi... Rabbi Yehusha ben Levi says he had he heard three things from the Malach Hamavet. Now, what that means that he was having a conversation with the angel of death is not clear to me, but this is what the Gemara says, and these are the three statements: Al titol chalukha shacharit miyad hashamash v'tilbash. Do not take your cloak in the morning from the hand of your servant and then wear it. Don't, you know, why it is that you're not supposed to take? It's not even a matter of not to, not supposed to, right? This is not halacha. This is uh, an advisory from the Malach Hamavet to Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Do not take the cloak from the hand of your servant in the morning and wear it. Number two, do not have your hands washed by some, meaning like the ritual washing, from somebody who has not washed his own hands, who has not done the ritual washing of his own hands. Um, now there, we might say like, how can you have, We can. there's a logic there, right? How can you have your own hands cleaned by somebody whose hands are themselves still tame. We'll come back to this in a moment. And do not stand before the women at the time that they would come back from, from the dead, but I meaning not coming back from the dead, coming back from the death of a, from a funeral, where presumably they're there to, there were women who would go and be professional mourners and they would do the, in Masachat Megillah, it talks about the, the ululating women, the, right, as a sign of mourning. And presumably that's who these women are. It's not the mourners themselves, but they are part of the grieving service that would take place. And it says, <laughs> The Malachamavit says that in all of these three cases, um, I dance and come before them. In each of these cases of the servant, or maybe it's just referring to the woman, the women, I dance and come before them with my sword in my hand and I have permission, license, to injure, license to destroy. So this is puzzling and disturbing for many reasons because again, he's talking to the Malachamavet. The Malachamavet, the angel of death, has advice. And the advice is don't put your situation, don't put yourself in a situation where I can reign supreme and kill you, right? Meaning it's kind of counterintuitive. You would think that he would want to be able to provide for our deaths, but he's giving us advice advice against it. And then lastly, and of course most confusingly, what are these three things and why are these the things that will you know, allow the Malcham of it to come and destroy. So when I was talking with your Dana beforehand, she reminded me of the fact that, you know, even if we're just talking about infectious diseases as a cause of death, which was obviously a very strong cause of death in the ancient world where they didn't have, you know, anti, any kind of antibiotics, et cetera. Um, you not know, e- this- not even that I have to do a vaccine plug. <laughs> That's, okay. Goodbye, all means. Let's just plug that also. Sorry. They didn't have vaccines. No, I, yes, I'm speaking I'm, of my I, other profession. Yeah. You know, I'm not a doctor, and there are very few soapboxes that I will get up and stand on, but that the, the plug for vaccination is a strong one. So there you have it from us. Go get vaccinated or get your children vaccinated or your neighbors vaccinated or anybody else you can think of who needs a vaccination, get it done. Um, 
in any case, so the idea that you were then maybe like in contact with the hands of somebody who was in the contact with death or with lack of cleanliness or whatever, that, that there may be some contamination there in a germ kind of way, and that might indeed bring about the malacham of it in, in a serious way, is, um, is a nice and I think rational explanation for what's going on here, especially as we're, you know, here today in Israel, we heard the first reports of a coronavirus um, from one of the people who got off of a quarantine and is now entering a second quarantine, right? Like the idea that there is the possibility of contamination is certainly nerve wracking. I think also, and you know, it's, it's hard to really parse this out without a whole lot more investigation than we can do in this kind of podcast on Dafyomi, right? It's a kind of thing that maybe merits a whole lot of investigation of all the times the Malachamavit, excuse me, is mentioned in all of the literature of Chazal. But that's not happening in the next, you know, little while on this podcast. So bear with me in my supposition here. I understand that it's speculation. I do think that there's something superstitious, right, that's going on here. And that that was part of the culture that was that was very real. That there's a fear of death and that there is a certain order of things. And if you did things out of order, right, or if you did something in a manner that was, you know, in the face of what the, I don't know, general practice was, then then it was frowned upon in a way that might even be scary. So for example, I'm thinking specifically of, of the Nitila Yadayim, right? Who is doing, who, who is in, who is going to have their hands washed like in a ritual kind of way from somebody who has not done so themselves? There's a conflict there that goes beyond simply, um, you know, oh, go, you go do yourself first, right? Like it, it, there's something odd there. Again, I don't have it fully formulated here because I, I think it bears a whole lot more investigation than I'm gonna get to today. Um, but then, and then, right, the issue here, you, you could say there's a superstition about women to begin with, which is possible, but it seems very specific, right? It's very specifically of when they come back from the cemetery. And that idea that death can be catching, not in a medical way, but in a, in a you know, heebie-jeebies, voodoo kind of way, scary kind of way. I don't mean literally technically voodoo, right? I'm saying the the there's something mystical that if you're near death, you may contaminate others with it. It seems it seems almost rational to me, right? That, that makes sense that that is a concern. Um, so for now, you know, at, at least I'll, I'll leave it there as a supposition if anybody has, you know, greater insight or, or in fact, you know, more background than I do in this, um, I would certainly love to hear about it. You can find us on our Facebook page. Um, yes. Now we're going to, yeah, sorry. Well, no, I, I, before we talk about Yalta, look, I think we see this all over the Gemara. There's a huge concept of shadim of demons. And I think they're, they do live in a more superstitious world. Um, I don't love using that word superstitious because I sort of do want to respect where those beliefs came from. Um, and, um, you know, I think that just was, maybe some of that was also of having less understanding of the world around you. So there was an understanding of if you did X, then Y would happen. And if you did, you know, all of these are beliefs that I think give us a sense sometimes of control over the world or they're observational of how things work in the world um, around us. But, you know, we do have some of those today also. Like I actually, I was at a uh, Shiva house this week and I, uh, my friend's mother was sitting Shiva and, you know, we were saying like how much food there was, you know, in the house and sort of talking about like, oh, could you, that people won't eat food that was brought to a shiva house. So it wasn't even like you could bring like a fruit platter into work. It's, you know, sort of considered like 
again, I think it's like some kind of superstition, like that was food that was meant for mourners. So sort of not wanting to be near that or consume that kind of food. So I think we, we still do carry some of those things today with us. For sure. And certainly, certainly individuals do, right? Meaning maybe there's nothing, maybe there's nothing um, technically wrong with sharing that food, right? But it's, it's a cultural thing, depending on where you're, you know, who's, who's involved. Uh, Okay, now we're going to jump to the, what I'm going to call the lead up to the Yalta story. Yardena is going to take over for Yalta, who is in her, in her own right, a fascinating personality. But the, but Yalta takes place in the, the story of Yalta takes place in the context of a discussion of wine. So further on, Nanalif Amadalif, it says, I'm a Rabbi Zera, I'm a Rabbi Abau, but I'm really Tana, there's 10 different things that are said about a cup of the blessing. And then the Gemara goes through like a whole bunch of different things. You know, what happens if you do, you're supposed to hold the cup in your right hand? Could you hold it in both hands? What happens if you hold it in your left hand? And so on. Okay. And then as we come down further, wait, I'm skipping through here. Um, uh, okay. So when um Amrabi Khia Bar Aba Amrav Yochanan, Rishonam Shalu, Small Mahusha Taisulum Yamin, Amrav Ashiho Ilvaroshinim Rishonim Slicha, Ibailahu, Velo Ibshitluhu, Ana Navid Lochoma. He says, Well, since nobody said that you can or cannot, nobody specified what you're supposed to do in this dilemma about the right left hand, we're going to act more stringently. Right. And this, I think, is, you know, merits its own discussion that we're not going to get into here of why and what the benefit is of going lachumra to be more stringent and not and says and not assist the right hand with the left, meaning you need to take your coast in your right hand. If you're a lefty, that's a whole other question. And you hold it up in the air. You hold it up and you say, I lift this up this cup of salvation and I call upon Hashem. And you look at it, to show that you're really paying attention to it. You're not being distracted from it. And you send it around as a gift to the members of your household so that it will be a bracha for, for the house, really. But the interpretation here is so that his wife will be blessed. Okay. And now we've got a story that's going to take, that's going to jump into exactly this, right? The, the question of how this is manifest when real live people are dealing with, with this, um, with this protocol, right? There is so much protocol here of exactly how you're supposed to ba- make kiddush so that it will be a bracha for your household, and it's very, very specific. So it's not surprising that we then have discussion of how what happens when people do a little bit differently. Yardena. So yeah. So in the context of the story, and we have to talk about Yalta. Uh, they now share a story of where the wine was not given to the woman of the house. Um, And so we'll go through the story first, and then we'll talk a little bit about who Yalta was. So, and this is probably the most famous of her stories um, as well. So Ula, Ikla Lebe Rav Nachman. So he's visiting the house of Rav Nachman. This takes place in Babel, right? Krich Rifta, right? They break bread. Barich Birchat Mezona. Okay, they go to... um, to uh, to say benching, and they bring the you know the wine cup to Rav Nachman for him to um, to to lead the benching. Amrle Rav Nachman. So they said to so Rav Nachman says to Ula, uh, so he says, please send the uh, 
this cup of blessing over to Yalta, to his wife. Amar lei, and Ula answers to him, Hechi Amar Rabbi Yochanan. This is what Rabbi Yochanan says. Now remember again, I point out this thing, Rabbi Yochanan is an Amora in Eretz Yisrael. Ula is now in Babel with Rav Nachman. Um, and so he's coming to basically tell Rav Nachman, like, well, this is the Mesoer of what they do in Eretz Yisrael. And he basically says the fruit of a woman's body is blessed only from the fruit of a man's body. Right? Because the Pasuk says, and it's a Pasuk that they quote from Devarim, he will bless the fruit of your body. And it's in a masculine, not saying the fruit of her body. So basically what Ula is saying to him is, is you don't need to send the cup over because just by you getting the blessing, it's as if she gets a blessing also. And, you know, he basically says, this is not a custom that you actually need to do. So the Gemara goes on and says, Tanya nami hachi, okay? Um, so Rabbi Natan wants to say, from where is it derived? And so it goes on and it gives, again, it's just giving another source of a brisa that quotes the same thing, right? So basically quoting the same formulation that we saw with Rabbi Yochanan. Um, I think there's a lot to get in here about how obviously sort of that relationship between men and women and the blessing of women. And specifically, this may have been like a fertility blessing as well, right? Because it's specifically talking about the fruit of your body, which is, you know, we, most people would understand as being the blessing of having children. So that there was some, you know, blessing in particular about having this wine as a blessing of having children. But here's the part we want to focus on. Adahachi Shma Yalta. So Yalta heard this, right? She heard that Ula basically refused to send her this cup. Kama Bizhara. So she gets up very angry, and she goes to the wine storage. And she breaks 400 barrels of wine. So first of all, this is, you know, I mean, you know, basically she's fuming at what happened. She feels very disrespected. And she goes to this now. Did she literally break? 400 barrels of wine, you know, I don't know, but I think the idea is to show that it was but a more lot. than that. Right. It, it's that she- um, for 400 is classically understood to be the language of exaggeration. Yeah, exactly. It's called Lashon Guzma right. in Lashon Guzma in the Gemara. So right. it means she destroyed the whole thing. Right. right. And however many bottles or barrels there were, you know. Yeah. So she, and we see this number 400, you know, come up in other places. Amarle Rav Nachman. So Rav Nachman says to Ula, Nishtar la mar kasa achrina. So he basically says, pour her another cup. Shlachla, they send it to her. Kolhai nagba debirchatahi, shlachle, mehadure mile, umis martude kalme. So they send her, you know, so they send her this, you know, this other cup, and she sends back to him, shlachle, she says back to him the following. From, you know, from way, you know, uh, from wayward peddlers, you know, um, because he's basically saying that she's basically, uh, you know, come words, right? Because she's saying like Ula's basically a peddler because he basically would go back and forth and travel regularly, like he wasn't in one particular place, okay? And from rags come lice. It's basically like, I'm not accepting this. You didn't do anything good for me. So I want to talk a little bit. Let's first just unpack the story a little bit. 
So one thing that I read while I was preparing this is that even the idea of breaking the barrel is somewhat symbolic of the relationship between man and wife and how people actually become pregnant. The idea being that the barrel is what contains the wine. And maybe one thing of what she's saying is, is that like, without my uterus, right, you cannot contain, <laughs> you know, the seed that makes this child that brings forth the fruit of children. And that that's sort of somewhat the, the symbolism of that, besides the fact that she's insulted also over wine. I thought that was like an interesting interpretation of why specifically just she decides to destroy this wine. Um, but the idea that she really pushes back on Ula and basically says, like, I'm not going to accept this. What you did was so insulting to me. And basically, you're a peddler who just has meaningless words. And that from rags, you know, comes lice, meaning like nothing. What you're what you're giving me is something that's worthless. And it brings about even more worthlessness or something that's actually like a nuisance um, is interesting. So who was Yalta? So Yalta appears a few. She's one of the few women who appears by name. Um, in the Talmud Bavli. Um, she's identified as the wife of Rabbi Nachman, um, who probably lived around 250 CE. Uh, there's a reference to Rabbi Nachman in the Gemara and Chulin and Dab Kuf Chaf Dalid, Amud Aleph, where it says that his wife was the daughter of the Reish Galuta. So I just mentioned this because we talked about the Reish Galuta earlier, you know, earlier. And... Um, but all the stories that are about her, she seems to have like a very strong personality. Um, and the other stories that appear about her, one is in Beitza um, and another one that's in Gittin, you'll see all of those are stories where it seems like she does something that's a little bit against the grain. It's not something that was sort of uh, the way that either halacha was understood um, or something that was different than how things are normally done. So if, you know, if you want, just Google what the other stories are. We're not going to go through all of them now. Well, we might get to, we might do when, when we get the, yeah, when, when we, we get, to, get them. to them, we'll, we'll eventually read them. But if you can't wait, cause you know, we're, we're not going to get to Beta for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, it's totally worth just like looking her up. Um, and I think a lot of people have used her sort of as an example of somebody as a woman who is. Uh, we he, we see her by name and that she seems to press back against, you know, uh, against the rabbis. Like what she did was really saying to Ula, like, you're not going to treat me this way. This is not a nice way to be treated. The accepted custom is. And remember also, I think that piece of her being the daughter of the Reish Galuta is sort of important. She's not mentioned by name in that Gemara and Kulin. It just says that Rabbi Nachman's wife was the daughter of the, you know, of the Reish Galuta. But, um, but, you know, we talked about how that Reish Galuta had these like very big festive meals. This is a person who obviously understood protocol and how things were supposed to go. And I think it's also interesting, you know, just in terms of the relationship with her husband, that here he has this guest, Ula, who's like, no, nah, this isn't something that you have to do. But it's clear this was the practice in their home. And he sort of changes the practice to accommodate the guests. Uh, without thinking so much about like what this might mean to his wife. <laughs> so that was the other piece that bothered me about what Rav Nachman did here. Um, but uh, that's it. I just think it's a great story. Um, Yalta is definitely a person worth knowing, again, because she's one of the few women who's really mentioned by name. Um, and it's also interesting that it's not, um, she's not criticized. Like there's no, you know, very often sometimes when we see these types of stories, the Gemara will come in and sort of give like, another commentary on like, you know, was this good behavior, not good behavior. 
and it sort of accepts the behavior for what it is. There's no criticism of what she did towards um, Ula. And if anything, I think they're almost bringing the story to say the correct way to behave is to send that cup of wine, the cup of blessing over to the woman of the house because she should also partake and enjoy that as well. So I'll take that a step further and note that this is the Gemara, right? The part that I read is the Gemara doing the talking and as a matter of what the practice is supposed to be, right? So that the Gemara... The Gemara is edited many years, generations after Yalta, after Rabbi Nach- after Rav Nachman, right? Meaning after all of this has happened, it could have not included it, or it could have included it as a negative, as, a co- as opposed to a, the protocol is this. Okay, we have a story where somebody went against the protocol as an emphasis for the fact that the protocol is supposed to be this, right? The whole of it comes to say, don't mess this up. You know, the bracha is supposed to be for your house, and that includes this is what you do. Right, like it's is a strong indictment of the of Rav Nachman's behavior there. Yeah, and Ula's. I mean, I think it's also the piece of like Ula again, this, the the Amor who sort of travels back and forth from you know Eretz Yisrael to Babel, and again, he's always the one who's sort of trying to introduce the Eretz Yisrael custom or to teach teach Babel. This is what they do in Israel, and sort of I think the Gemara is saying you're like no no no, that's not what we're going to do here. <laughs> You know, right. don't, don't take this particular learning of Rabbi Nachman and then Rabbi Natan and translate it into something else. That's our DAF for the day. Remember, you can find us on All Made for Podcasts. Please leave a comment or some feedback or your own insights on our Facebook page. We also want to thank Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website, where you can find a lot of other great content on today's DAF. And until tomorrow's DAF, go and learn. 